And it is Jesus who makes this a glorious day. We welcome you to this morning's broadcast. Thank you for joining us. What does it mean to be reconciled to God? And exactly how wonderful is peace with God? Pastor Elliot begins ministering from Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11 this morning. Please turn in your Bibles to this passage. And now with his message today is our pastor, Robert Elliott. Justification is the subject of chapter 5 of Romans. And in verses 1 to 11, the ones we'll tackle this morning, we see justification's blessings. Uh, Justification's blessings, which are several. I'm going to give you three by overview fashion. But first I'm going to read verses 1 through 11 of Romans 5. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we exult in the hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners... Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Very quickly, in overview fashion, there are three main blessings of justification in the verses which I've just read with you. I'm going to overview the three quickly and then take them apart individually. Three blessings of justification. The first blessing of justification is peace with God. See it there in verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And see it again in verse 10. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. The first blessing of, of justification is peace with God. The second blessing of justification is the hope of grace. The hope of grace. I see that in verses 2 through 9 and then 11. See it with me. Through whom also we've obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand and we exult in the hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. And perseverance proven character. And proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For while we were still helpless, 
At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Verse 9, much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. And then skipping down to verse 11, and not only this, but we also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. So the second blessing of justification is the hope of grace. If you're justified, you have the hope of grace. We'll see what that means in a little bit. The third blessing of justification is praise for God. When you are justified, you are free and responsible for praising God. Praising God. See it with me in verse 11. And not only this, but we also exult in God through the Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received the reconciliation. So the three blessings of justification Say it with me. Peace with God. Again, peace with God. That's the first blessing. Second blessing, the hope of grace. Ready? The hope of grace. Third blessing of justification, praise for God. Again, praise for God. So let's take these apart one by one. The first blessing of justification of God acquitting you as a believer in his son to declare you innocent, although you are guilty. The first blessing of that justification work of God is peace with God. I see that in verses 1 and 10, as I've shown you just a moment ago. This peace with God that justification makes possible involves reconciliation. Verse 10, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, you only can have peace with God. I can only have peace with God if I'm justified and you're justified and we are reconciled to God. We all need reconciliation to God until we're saved. We have none. But after we're genuinely saved, born again, and converted, we now have been given the grace gift of peace with God. Aren't you glad? You sit here at peace with God if you're saved. Now, it's not just that it's a point-in-time reconciliation. It's also an ongoing, perpetual reconciliation. You have been reconciled, and you are being reconciled moment to moment, moment to moment. Hebrews 7.25, just listen. Therefore he, that is Jesus Christ, therefore he is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him since... He always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus is praying for you at the Father's right hand. You've been reconciled if you're saved. You have peace with God if you're saved. And yes, Jesus, your great high priest, prays for you at his Father's right hand. Amazing. Let me tell you what reconciliation is not. What reconciliation is not, let me illustrate. If you live on the west end of this island at Coral Harbor, and I live on High Vista in the Parsonage off Eastern Road, reconciliation is not us agreeing to meet at Fish Fry. That's not biblical reconciliation. 
God didn't come halfway to us and we came halfway to him and therefore we're now reconciled. Oh, no, 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 no. If you live in Coral Harbor and I live off Eastern Road and I want to be reconciled, I would go to Coral Harbor. That's what God did in Christ. Jesus stepped across the stars and galaxies that he created by the word of his mouth and he came to earth, the dusty old tennis ball called earth, full of rebels. He lived amongst us. He healed us. He taught us. He died for us. He rose for us. He ascended for us. He intercedes for us. And one day he returns for us. Biblical reconciliation is God coming all the way to us even while we were in rebellion. It's not Arawak. Jesus came to you all the way to you when you couldn't come to him. Peace with God involves reconciliation. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, He, God the Father, made Him, God the Son, Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, Jesus knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. If you're saved, you're justified. If you're saved, you have peace with God. If you're saved, you're reconciled to God because the Father heaped unto Jesus all of your sins, past, present, and future. And when he died in agony and shed his blood on that cross, he was bearing your sins and mine. And nature was sympathetic that the common fellowship and closeness between God the Father and God the Son for the first time in all of history was broken for three hours. Well, Jesus bore your sin and mine on the cross. And the Father, as it were, turned his back on his Son as he bore our sins. In the Palestinian noonday, sun went black as night. There was an earthquake. Graves in Jerusalem were shook so hard that dead believers came out of those graves and walked around alive for a time. They died again eventually. Oh, yes. The first blessing of justification is that we have peace with God that came at great cost to the Godhead. Thanks, Pastor Rob, for your message today. And now it's time for Youth Talk with Pastor Nicholas Rogers. Good morning. This is Pastor Nicholas, and I serve as a youth pastor at Calvary Bible Church. And today we want to continue our series on talking about being an influence. And as we talked about the last time, we talked about how being an influencer is something so big today. As we think of social media, we think of uh, people on YouTube who are influencing people to to buy things and to want to do different events because of, of things they see. And today we want to continue to talk about on how we can be an influencer. How, what type of influencer are you being? And one thing we have to understand is as we think of our lives and we think of what we go through in life, there are people who influence our life every day. If I think of my life as I grew up, um, watching, playing sports. It was always a sports athlete who I wanted to be like. In fact, as we think of the 1990s, for anyone who's listening to the broadcast, if you grew up in that era, we would all remember the Gatorade commercial, Be Like Mike. I want to be like Mike. want to be like Mike, Michael Jordan. And that's what we think about. We think of people who influence us. But I want to ask you this morning, as we think of this as a young person, as you listen to this broadcast, 
I want to ask you, who do you go to as an influence? You see, we need to understand that we need to go to people who are wise, people who know better than us. Again, as we think of, if we think of a sport, you're not going to go to someone who you may think you can beat playing basketball. You're going to go to someone who's better than you so that they can teach you more about the game. As we think of life, we wanted to go to someone who is wiser than us in certain areas of life. You see, what we think of a wise person and what comes to our mind about a wise person. You see, we can think of so many different things. A wise person may always be telling people what to do. A wise person is a person who is a good problem solver. A wise person is more concerned with right or wrong than problem solving. You know, these are things that we have to think about. What, what, what are some things that we think of a wise person? And when we think of Proverbs chapter 4, verses 1 and 9, we, we think of the book of wisdom. We think of the wisest man to ever live, Solomon. And we think of how he looks at what being a wise person is, what being an influencer is. And this is what it says in Proverbs 4, 1 and 9. It said, Listen, sons, to a father's discipline, and pay attention so that you may gain understanding. For I have given you good instruction. Don't abandon my teaching. When I was a son with my father, tender and precious to my mother, he taught me and said, Your heart must hold to my words. Keep my commands and live. Get wisdom and get understanding. Don't forget or turn away from the words from my mouth. Don't abandon wisdom and she will watch over you. Love her and she will guard you. Wisdom is supreme. So get wisdom and whatever else you get, get understanding. Cherish her and she will exalt you. If you embrace her, she will honor you. She will place a garland of favor on your head. She will give you a crown of beauty. As we think of wisdom, we see just as we think of this, this is what it's in. We gain wisdom by learning from others who are wise. When we gain wisdom, it helps guide, guard, and protect us. As we saw in Proverbs 4, 1 and 9. As he says, listen, sons, to a father's discipline. Listen to older people. And I think that for a young person that's in a broadcast, we need to understand something. That I think sometimes we think that we know better than the older generation. And when it comes to technology, we might know better than the older generation. But when it comes to things in life, they've been through life. They can teach us. Um, I remember, you know, as a youth pastor, hearing young people say, well, let me learn on my own. Let me make my own mistakes. When people try to speak life and wisdom in their lives, they don't want to hear from those people. They want to learn their own and, and make the same mistakes that maybe they didn't have to go through. If they just listen or they ask for wisdom. But we can also help others gain wisdom by sharing the wisdom we learn from others. When we share wisdom, wisdom helps guide, guard, and protect others too. Again, as we get wisdom, we need to pass on that wisdom. We need to help others know how to do things, what to do. You see, it's no surprise that throughout history and across cultures, wise people are often respected and honored. But even when they are not respected and honored, wise people are always needed. You see, we live in a society, we live in a world where we need wise people. We need people who can help us, who can influence us, who can help um, speak life sometimes into our lives. And especially as we think of the Christian life, we need older people, older as a man, I need an older man to speak life into me. Then I need this pass this on to another generation. You see, we are being an influencer. So I want to challenge you, I want to ask you this morning as you listen to this broadcast as a young person, who are you getting influence from? 
Are you just getting influence from the world and, and letting what the world dictates to you from the internet, from YouTube, from Instagram, Twitter? Are these the only influences that you have in your life? Or are you looking for people who you surround yourself with people in the church? As a woman, you look for an older woman in the church that can help influence you. And I think that as we listen to this broadcast, I don't want you to shut off if you're an older person listening because I want you to understand that you have to be an influence in the next generation. You see, we look at our, our society, we look at our country, and we think to ourselves, well, what's wrong? What's going on? You know, just as I, you know, record this broadcast just yesterday, the, the stabbing in the school, you know, we, people are blaming parents and different people are blaming whoever it is. But a question I have is what are we doing to influence as a church? How are we reaching the next generation? Are we speaking life and wisdom in these people? Or are we just playing the blame game like everyone else? You see, again, as we close, as we've run out of time, I want you as a young person again to think of your life. And, and, and ask yourself, who can I go to for wisdom? Who is it that I can go to to be a good influence in my life? Because this, the, the reality is that we think of the world there are many people who can influence you to do the wrong things. But it takes a wise person to find a person who's going to help them to gain wisdom and to help them to understand that they need people to speak into their life. You see, we all need wisdom and people who can help us to find it. You know, again, as I close, I think of my own personal life. I wouldn't be where I am today if it wasn't for people who influenced my life. And I am thankful, and not to give me any pat on the back, but I'm thankful that I was able to pass on that wisdom to others. And I've seen people who was in my youth group before and see them now become pastors. And it's just great to see that influence. And it has nothing to do with me, but it's that God has allowed me to be that person and to pass on wisdom from other people. So I challenge you this morning, whether you're young, whether you're older, I ask you, where are you going for influence? Where are you going for wisdom? Find someone who's going to help you to be a better person and to be the best person that you possibly can for Jesus Christ. It's time for answers to your questions. We urge you to take a moment and get a pen and paper and take down the references used so that you can do your own study later on. We here at Echoes of Calvary are always excited to receive your letters of support and your questions, which we seek to answer right away and also here on the show. You can send us your letters at eocradio at gmail.com. That's eocradio at gmail.com. Today, Pastor Elliot draws from Carl Laney's excellent book, Answers to Tough Questions. This book was published back in 1997. And once again, here is Pastor Robert Elliott. The next question comes from 1 Corinthians 11, verse 5, which reads, But every woman who has her head uncovered while praying or prophesying disgraces her head, for she is one and the same with those whose head is shaved. Question. Did Paul teach that women should wear head coverings when they pray? According to Jewish custom, a bride went bareheaded until her marriage as a symbol of her freedom. 
When she married, she wore a veil as a sign that she was under the authority of her husband. It is quite probable that both Jewish women and respectable Greek women of the first century wore such head coverings in public. But there were women in Corinth who were not wearing the traditional covering. See 1 Corinthians 11, verses 5 and 6. Paul responds by explaining the need for the woman's head to be covered when she participates in public ministry of praying or prophesying, verse 5. Building his case on certain facts from creation, verses 7 through 9, the presence of angels, verse 10, and the pattern in nature, verses 14 and 15, Paul concludes that the woman ought verse 10, to cover her head in situations of ministry where role relationships appear to be confused or reversed. Paul concludes by affirming that this practice is universal among the churches of God. See verse 16. Paul clearly supports the practice of women covering their heads when participating in public ministry of praying or prophesying. The question most people have is whether or not this first century custom is binding on believers today. While the answer to this question is debated, it is significant that Paul argues his case not from culture, but from theological and biblical truths. Whatever you conclude regarding this debated subject, it's important to remember that God gives priority to the attitude of the heart over external ritual. It's possible for a woman to wear a head covering while not having an attitude of submission. This would violate the spirit of Paul's teaching while keeping it to the letter. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 8, which reads, Love never fails, but if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away with. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. And the question is the obvious one. Have tongues ceased? In upholding the permanence of love over temporal and partial gifts, 1 Corinthians 13, 8 to 10, Paul declares that tongues will cease. Paul associates this cessation of tongues with the coming of, quote, the perfect, end quote. The key question for us, then, is what is the perfect? Some have argued that the perfect refers to the completed canon of Scripture. Then it logically follows that since we have a completed Scripture, tongues have ceased. Others have suggested that the perfect refers to the second coming of Christ. This view would allow for the continuation of tongues through this present age. A third view suggests that the perfect refers to the maturity of the body of Christ. This third approach seems broad enough to embrace the relative maturity implied in Paul's illustration in verse 11, as well as the absolute maturity depicted in verse 12. The word teleos, which means mature, pictures the church growing collectively as a body, beginning with its birth and progressing through different stages during the present age. The church will reach complete maturity at the return of Christ. The question, when will tongues cease, is bound with the question, when will the church be mature? Certainly the church will be mature at the return of Christ, verse 11. It may also be considered mature when a time of continuing revelation is no longer necessary. At such a time, the gifts of knowledge, tongues, and prophecy will no longer be needed 
to provide or to verify special revelation. We want to conclude this Echoes of Calvary broadcast with a Puritan prayer. The Puritan prayer, the divine will. O Lord, I hang on thee. I see, believe, live when thy will, not mine, is done. I can plead nothing in myself in regard of any worthiness or, and grace, in regard of thy providence and promises, but only thy good pleasure. If thy mercy make me poor and vile, blessed be thou. Prayers arising from my needs and preparations for full mercies. Help me to honor thee by believing before I feel. For great is the sin if I make feeling a cause of faith. Show me what sins hide thee from me and eclipse thy love. Help me to humble myself for past evils and be resolved to walk with more care. For if I do not walk holily before thee, how can I be assured of my salvation? It is the meek and humble who are shown thy covenant. Know thy will, are pardoned and healed, who by faith depend and rest upon grace, who are sanctified and quickened, who evidence thy love. Help me to pray in faith and so find thy will by leaning hard on thy rich free mercy, by believing thou wilt give what thou hast promised. Strengthen me to pray with the conviction that whatever I receive is thy gift, so that I may pray until prayer be granted. Teach me to believe that all degrees of mercy arise from several degrees of prayer, that when faith is begun, it is imperfect and must grow, as chapped ground opens wider and wider until rain comes. So shall I wait thy will, pray for it to be done, and by thy grace become fully obedient. Amen. You've been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church, Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship services are at 8 a.m. and 11 a.m. in our sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We encourage you to join us. Feel free to write us at eocradio at gmail.com. That's eocradio at gmail.com or P.O. Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And remember, everyone needs a savior.